0: Hey guys, welcome to the Laying Foundations podcast. This is your co-host Davis Hambrick. Joining alongside me today is Walker Light. What's up, Walker? Davis,
1: good afternoon, man. What's going on,
0: man? Nothing much. Had a had a busy day at work. Been doing a Bible study. Just loving where I'm at in life. What about you, buddy?
1: Hey, man. I've been doing a project for my brother. Been building a he shed. I like to call it. So just put in the uh, concrete foundations today. So I'm a little little sore from that, but. Not too, not too bad, man. It's a blessing I get to work at least. So. That's right. But, man, today's guest was awesome. He was such a fun dude, like ton, a ton of knowledge and wisdom and a ton of good things to add. He so good at communicating. Uh, and, he, and he was in the military for 20-plus years, the Air Force. Uh, and so he got really good at just talking to people, talking to all types of people. He's a professor at A and M, um, so that's pretty cool for any of you Aggie fans. I know War Eagle for us, but we'll we'll take it anyway. And <laughs> he's again, it's just a ton of knowledge. You know, one thing he says is just be be vulnerable to people. And we talk about that on the podcast all the time, and he is a prime example of that. This may, he truly lives
0: what he preaches. What do you think of it? Uh, I love his heart. One of the things I love the most is. Just like you said, whatever he's saying, it feels so authentic. It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, he's going to be different when we turn this off. He wasn't even before and after we weren't recording it. He's the same guy. And I love that. This authentic, authentic, oh my gosh, authenticity in him was awesome. And one of the things I loved was, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. I love that quote yeah. that he mentioned. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna do something with that. But guys, he talked a lot about a lot of different leadership traits. Uh that's something they do about with the Texas A A&M book program. Yeah. I, like I love just they have that in, in their construction, the leadership minor portion. And I, I love that. Um, he did a lot of different things. He was in the military for for years. We talked a lot about that, but He's now the department head at Texas A&M. And just one of the things that I just loved about him was we talked a little bit about vulnerability at the end. And I don't ever really know what's going to happen whenever I share my faith. You know, that's what I believe in. And I just wanted to be vulnerable. And I I just got to see a side of him where, you know, he started to, to get emotional talking about things that whenever you ask this question, Walker, and, you know, that's what that's what it's about. Like I got to know somebody at a better level because I just wanted to reach out to him and say, hey, like, would you be willing to jump on the podcast? And that's what he talks about. It's just whoever it is, go talk to him. And I love that about him. That's the thing that I'm going to strive to do better at is just whoever it is, doesn't matter their title, what they got, go and talk to him. I feel like I know
1: him better than some people we've talked to before, just because he was vulnerable with some things that, that other people might not want to share. You know, I mean, you could go throughout your your life talking to someone and having a, a two second conversation, but he even talks about, it. you don't have to have an hour long conversation yeah, or a five minute long conversation, but just talk to someone, share with them, get to know them just a little bit because then you start the conversation. You can go from there. And That
0: is awesome. Just like that saying, you know, it's, it's a mile wide and a foot deep, but we want to be, a foot wide and a mile deep, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour long conversation. It can be, but it could be just five minutes. And it just means, Hey, I'm going to be a listener and I'm going to get to know this guy. I'm going to talk to him and just have a compassionate heart, be willing to open up and guys don't, don't take that the wrong way. Being compassionate, just, just love whoever it is. Just love them who who they are and just be there for them and just be a human. And that's what it's, what it's really about is I want to be known. Davis Hamburg, I want to be known. Uh, whenever my life is is gone in a way that Davis cared about me and I knew every time I talked to him he wasn't just thinking about whatever he's got going on in his head he cared enough to listen about me and my problems and whatever I'm going through
1: yeah I completely agree
0: but guys we'll let you listen to it
1: just please welcome to the show Dr. Patrick Sewerman welcome to the show Dr. Sewerman we are so excited to have you here and, and cannot wait to learn a little bit more about you but just to begin with Tell us a little about who you are, what do you do, and where are you from?
2: Thanks so much, Davis and Walker. I'm I'm really honored that you asked me to be on your podcast. I'm excited that we are reaching the next generation of leaders for construction. That's what I focus on a lot. Uh, I'm the department head of construction science at Texas A&M University, and we always, people usually know us as the biggest program in the country, but what we try to do is we don't wanna just have the biggest quantity, we wanna have the best quality. And I always tell people we have to earn that reputation every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm really blessed to teach and lead 1300 students and about 50 faculty and staff. Uh, in, we have about 1100 undergrad students in construction science at Texas A&M. Uh, we've grown to about 150 graduate students in masters of science in construction management. And the big announcement is August 15th, 2021, we were officially approved for the first construction PhD in the state of Texas, Auburn beach awesome. a little bit. So right. <laughs> or damn eagle, or damn it as the case may be. Um, but uh so but we have we have our PhD now. We're so we are a complete program with That's a awesome. undergrad degree, a STEM masters of science construction management, uh, and a STEM PhD. We have we're defined though by our industry. We have about 200 firms who are in our construction industry advisory wow. council and we listen to them. Uh, thir- thoroughly, just like Auburn does uh, for all their firms from Atlanta to Birmingham to the, the entire regional and, and national following that Auburn has. Construction science has a very large region that we serve Texas, but we send students and uh, veterans all over the world to Bosnia, Turkey, uh, Matamoros, wow. Mexico. Uh, we have uh, Ascension Islands. Uh, Mike Paulus is one of my grad students who's doing an internship on the runway in Ascension Islands. So shout out to, to Mike. So that's it's an exciting, it's an exciting program to be a part of. We just, this is a cool story. We had a student who I didn't even know he was coming came on August 11th. He and his brother and his father were touring all the construction programs. And his brother is a current student at Auburn
0: Hmm.
2: and they've been to Purdue. They've been to Colorado state. Uh, I think they had been to Florida, uh, but they visited us last. And I just got an email this week. And, uh, he told us that he's he loved the dynamic and, and he's going to apply uh, early admission to Texas A&M. So that's awesome. That's what goes on is that we're the largest, but I, I try to treat every student like an individual and and every firm like the the next client. So it's 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 a great place to be at Texas A&M.
0: I love that, and we won't hold the Aggie against you for being fellow War <laughs> Eagles. But man, we, we appreciate you being willing to talk about. It. I didn't know the the sheer mass of y'all's program. Like holy cow, I didn't either. I mean, that, that's amazing. But I love how you, you like to say, you know, I want to focus on quality. I want to know my students individually. I love that, especially I'm sure it, it could be so easy to just think about how many people you're putting out, but you want to focus on the quality of the student. I love that. So let's go back. Let, let's talk about your background and how you got started. I want to know about from, you know, what, what got you interested in the construction all the way to where you're at today. Tell me a little bit about your journey.
2: Well, I always always had an adventurous childhood. My dad was a, an army ranger and he was deployed all the time and we moved all over the place. And when I was in second grade, he was in Korea for a year back when Korea was still developing in the early oh. 80s. And, uh, and he was in a remote part. He wasn't near Seoul. He was in Daegu. Um, and so at the time, there was a lot of defining moments, I think, that happened that second grade year. And I can trace it back to two things we we went to go see kennedy space center i got uh like a little astronaut flight suit and and one of the 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 caps and i, I wore that pretty much every day kind of like modern day woody or buzz Lightyear kids <laughs> and then the other thing was i got a toolbox that didn't have kid tools it had real tools in it it had a, a hammer had real screwdrivers and what i would do is i would i was in a neighborhood in satellite beach florida And I would go around and get the wood from construction sites. And I would make ramps because I also got a Dallas Cowboys bicycle. Um, And it was weird because I had a Dallas Cowboys bicycle, but I was really into the killer bees of the Miami Dolphins. And I was living my best life. I'm riding a banana seat bicycle, jumping off ramps that I made with a nasty uh, flight suit on. And so pretty much if I could, and it was socially acceptable, that's what I would do today. And so you're probably going to see some hints of those inspirations in the types of things I've, I'm doing now.
1: I mean, I, I love that. That's hilarious. I, I'm the same way with Legos. If I could have an entire room full of Legos and play with them all day long, I'd do the same thing. But like you said, exactly. it's not too socially acceptable. That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, so, you know, you started this construction journey before you got to A&M. Did you work for a GC or did you do anything on that side of things? Or did you, did you jump straight into academics?
2: Well, I was, uh, I wound up going to the Air Force Academy. That's where I got an undergrad degree. I'm a civil engineer from the Air Force Academy, the Keep It Revin class of 97. And uh, when I was at the Air Force Academy, I thought I was going to be a pilot, but I had a few things working against me. Number one, my eyesight went way down the tubes after freshman year after studying all hours of the night. And then also I had no idea I was colorblind until I got to the Air Force Academy. And so you can't be colorblind and be special forces or a pilot or anything. And I tried all of those. And mm. eventually, I was just glad that i had a major that i could use in my everyday job in the air force and so i was an air force civil engineer for 20 years and so wow. a lot of air force uh real estate you're taking care of stuff from world war ii or some old bases and i was lucky that i was always either building new things or uh doing academics or teaching at the air force academy in the department of civil engineering but um that's it was sort of an accidental journey into construction but my very first job was environmental engineering, and I knew I did not like that. I just felt like everyone would want to do things, and I'm like, not so fast. Like let's <laughs> let's uh, like let's not be productive. Let's think of every possible thing to not do that. And so then, but my very next year, my boss could sense my uh, uneasiness, and I and um, and I was in a quick turnaround construction firm basically where I would negotiate the work. We'd award it in 30 days where if you've worked with the military, you know, that's lightning fast, anything done. Oh, yeah. or negotiated work is incredibly quick. And so I, I worked with, um, it was a simplified acquisition of base engineering requirements. We do quick t- turnaround renovations. Uh, we built a veterinary clinic was the largest um, single capital project that we did. We renovated the chapels. We built baseball fields, we built skate parks. And so I would design them and negotiate the jobs with the firm. And it was super fun. I loved it. And that's that's what I that's what I've I've done my whole life. Then is built things in Greenland and Afghanistan and Okinawa and Korea, uh, Guam, Johnston Atoll, Wake Island, all over the place. And then just get to relay my experiences of these remote and isolated locations to the students.
0: Man, that's awesome! Thank you for your service, man. I mean, that is incredible. I didn't realize that. That's you went to so many different places and got to travel and got to experience it. What was it like? you know, coming from all these different cultures and building stuff in these different environments?
2: You have to be um, adaptive. I mean, you have to be an adaptive leader and have to be an adaptive follower and you have to figure out the culture before you're ever going to ask anybody to do anything because Americans have a tendency to be very knife hand, like telling people you you do this and very business focused. But I mean, in Afghanistan, if, if you don't go out and have chai, which is tea with the workers, um, they're not going to respect you. And uh, we had a lot of safety incidents when I first got to Afghanistan. I had a complete safety down day and we had to do everything in Dari, Pashto, Arabic and English because we had Afghans who were of different tribes. We had Egyptians. We had uh, a crazy project manager from England who he was probably the hardest to understand. All was weird terminology. But that that's uh, that's the part that really it's all about the team who can all if you can get the team to focus on the project. There's nothing can stop you. And, that, and that's the part that I really liked was uh, really the things that I did were probably more military background and mentoring than straight up engineering or construction knowledge. And that's usually what makes you the most successful on a project is just getting to know the people who are really doing the work.
0: You're speaking to my heart there. Uh, I love that. Uh, I've noticed just on, you know, this is, I, let me back up, graduated in December. So now this past year is my first full-time job Congrats. Working for Brad's and Gory. Thank you. And I'm starting to realize you can know everything about construction, but if you cannot get this team together to buy in and focus on a task and get after it, there's no reason to really even be doing the job anyway, because you're not going to be doing, you're not going to be excelling at the rate that you could. And if you're not building others in the process, then what's the point of really doing it? So I love that. Talk to me a little bit about this whole leadership and mentoring side. I think it's imperative for the young people coming into construction. I know for, uh, for some of the guys in the, the older side uh, that work in the trades, that I get to talk to, you know, they didn't really get to get led or mentored in a way that they wanted And I'm looking at that now for someone, for, for me, that I want to be a superintendent one day. I need to go find someone that's doing that right now. So just talk about how important is leadership and mentoring to you, especially since you're getting to teach these students now.
2: Well, you got you to gotta go find that person immediately and, and put yourself under their wing. And then later on, you got to bring other people under, under your wing. And luckily, luckily for me, my first base was Charleston Air Force Base, South Carolina. And I met Master Sergeant Battle. And he was a real character. What, what he did was they probably don't even do this anymore, but there were some airmen on base who, if they got in trouble, they would have to go report to Sergeant battle. And then they would basically go do like cleanup duties and go do like small jobs around the base. And Sergeant battle was kind of like a combination of that, uh, Morgan Freeman character with the baseball bat principal, but then also like a stand-up comedian. He was just hilarious. And <laughs> he and I were supposed to go build a tent city for an exercise and I'm a brand new second lieutenant. I was very young. <clears throat> I went to the Air Force Academy straight out of high school. And so I was probably still 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. He's probably my age now, uh, maybe late 40s or something like that. And so he's supposedly working for me. But um, and so we're in a meeting and I was talking about our plan for this. And he was he was sort of he was kind of giving me some attitude. And and I was just like, hmm, OK, I kind of like laughed along with it. But then after the meeting, I took him outside and I was like, Sergeant Bell, like, if you disrespect me in that meeting, then no one's going to respect me. So me hmm. out here by ourselves, how can I get your respect? Cause I know your support is crucial for us to be successful in this. And I just, I want to know as much as you, I'm, I've, I've been put in charge, but I need to be you. So, and that really flipped the script because I think he was just sort of like, Oh, we got another young in here. And um, but that changed everything. And then he and I, from that point were inseparable. We wound up doing that same job multiple times in the summer of 98 um, putting up Eighty-five tents for these different exercises. Pre nine eleven, we used to do exercises. We weren't just deployed all the time, and that that really taught me a lot because then I had his trust. And there, a lot more stuff happened there, and I can't say all of it on the podcast. But uh, that was uh, that was the wild and woolly days of the late nineties of the military, pre nine eleven, before it got real. And so that's what I would recommend everybody do now. I mean, I, I would hope that Davis here in Louisiana, you went up to the superintendent and said, "I want to be you and one." 5 10 years and I've been surprised how many people uh Walker maybe you I mean you probably have a 1 5 10 year plan you'd be surprised how many people no one has ever asked them that like where do you see yourself in a few years like how can I help you meet those goals and ultimately that's your job as a leader is you're going to have the job but you need to focus on the project you're going to try to win the battle but you need to win the war and that's you should always be thinking that way big picture because you have a big picture plan you're you're a college graduate Other people don't always think like that. And when you can mold their minds to think the way that you do, then that's when you know that um, you're really getting the biggest return on your investment of your, of your college education, which was obviously a huge investment of your time and your resources and, and uh, your attention.
1: That's awesome. I mean, you bring a great point, especially about just pulling someone aside and talking with them. Davis has a good story. He does a really good job at that. I always think about him when, when I think of stories like that, you know, he started, Doing, and davis correct me if i missed any details but he started uh taking over this floor with the project that he's on right and so he goes to all the superintendent, or all the subcontractors on there he's like look guys i know i'm new i don't know very much you guys know a lot more than i do you've been doing this a lot more than i can you know all i ask is that i can learn from you every day and i ask that you just respect me and i respect you and before we make it a big problem let's figure it out ourselves so we don't have to go to the superintendent or the pm and work it out that way. And I mean, I I love that story. I think it was awesome the way he brought it up. And I think that's awesome. The way you went up to, you know, battle and and said, Hey, look, I don't know. I don't know what I did, but what's a way that we can fix it. And I think so many people miss that a lot, especially in today's age, because it's all electronic, you know, I mean, we're millennials, I guess, but everyone would rather text and call or text and, and email than just pick up the phone or talk face to face to someone. Cause for some reason, I guess they're scared of, talking on with a voice to where you can't sit and sit and uh, think about what you're going to respond to someone.
2: Yeah. But, no, that's perfect. I mean, that, that vulnerability lets people in and they see they can, they can start to maybe trust you, but then you're going to have to prove that by the first time they bring you some bad news. And, uh, and so that, that's one thing too, is I would recommend for you, Walker or Davis, I always kept a list of leadership traits and I always try to frame them in the positive. Sometimes they were written after I saw a commander do something that was like, that was not good, but how can I put that in? Like, do be like this, not just don't do this and don't do that. Nobody likes that. I mean, so what can you strive to be? What can you strive to accomplish? And and so I kept that as a list of my perspectives and I brought that to every organization I've, I've been a part of. And if nothing else, um, it's a conversation starter. I've had some people challenge me on some of them. They're like, why are you, you're younger than me. Like, don't tell me that this, I should be doing this. Like, and I was like, man, okay. I thought, I didn't think that was controversial, but now I got a conversation going. And so, I mean, this, the the worst thing you can do as a leader is be aloof or like nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. Like, so right. it's an argument is better, especially in construction than, than nothing. So um, that's, that's something I would recommend everybody try to keep like a leadership notebook or, just, I mean, you could just keep a little Google doc for yourself or something.
0: Yeah, I love that. I haven't thought about that. I did that as an exercise. So a little backstory here, Patrick. My my aunt uh, runs a leadership or co-runs a leadership company in Decatur, Alabama, and she let me go through an exercise and she did both of those. Tell me five leaders that you've you've had in your life and then tell me five people that you that was your boss or whoever it was, but they weren't leaders and write down traits, positive and negative, and then... Tell me about what you wish you could have done differently with the negative and try to apply that to these these pot. So you talking about having a journal of writing down or a Google Doc writing down leadership traits. I think that's awesome. One of the things I think about a lot when it's when you think about leadership is there's no, there's no box around it. You can get as creative as you want. And oftentimes when you do that, you you have more success with the relationships because you're going outside and and thinking instead of just being confined to what we think we're supposed to be molded to. So I love that, the leadership uh, traits journal book, but let's talk a little bit about vulnerability because you just mentioned it and Walker and I have talked and we mentioned this actually the past few um, past few podcasts. And when we talked about vulnerability, we talked about how most of the time, if you're vulnerable and you admit like, Hey, I made a mistake or I did something wrong. The other person in turn opens up and is starting to to have this life with you and that you didn't even know that it could exist. So talk a little bit about
2: that. There's everyone is going to have a lot of opportunities to uh, react to something. And it's like the old saying that life isn't about what happens to you, but how you react to it. And that's uh, one of the things that I love doing is that we have a leadership minor in the design and construction professions within the College of Architecture because our program is in the, in the College of Architecture at A&M. Sometimes it's in the College of Engineering or Colorado States, like in the Nursing and AgriLife College or something. I never understand where, where they are, um, but even though they're a great program. But uh, we, have, we have a lot of general engineering or general USAR, so the University Studies Architecture students. And the, the requirement for that program is they take two minors. And the most popular minor by far is the leadership and design and construction professions minor. And I always go do a guest lecture to the introductory class for that because the ultimate uh, capstone of that minor, if you will, is you have to come up with your own uh, leadership plan for like what type of leader you'll be. So how can you articulate what you're, what's important to you, what your values are, how you're going to uh, behave as a leader. And so since I have that early class with Professor Gary Bolt, he always invites me in there. Um, What I do is I have a lot of scenarios. I talk a little bit about myself and I talk about uh, initial success, uh, incredible success and sustained success. And I do that usually through a lens of Olympic athletes or or pro athletes or uh, presidents or people who you'd want to read a biography of. And, but that's half the class that I do. And then the other half is I just have these six scenarios that I pose to them as these really happened to me. And I'm going to tell you everything up to the point where everyone is now looking at you as the leader. What do you do? And students really respond well to that because I think that a lot of times professors are just like, what's the question? And then they tell you the answer. And what's the question? And they tell you the answer. I, I just ask the question and then they have to have a person stand up and talk about what their group talked about, and then I would sort of grill them. I'm like, "Well, what what if this happens?" Or like, and it's usually also based in reality. And oftentimes, I've I've found that students have better solutions than what I did at the moment because a lot of these were still in my early formative years. Uh, because the military, really, I mean, the day you're you're commissioned as an officer, you outrank 80 percent of the military. That's only the top 20 percent are usually. Uh, but if unless you are have some humility, like Davis had. Um, you won't you might be in charge but you won't be leading anyone because they're they're not following you so that the students respond to that really well and i've been excited to see the creativity that uh, our young students have when they when i give them these scenarios that completely baffled me at the time so um that that is how you build your reputation I, i'm not wearing my name tag right now but i normally always wear a name tag that's what i tell the students like there's no six degrees of separation like kevin bacon or anything there's Everybody knows somebody who knows you and your name tag is your reputation. And so that's why I wear a name tag is to let everybody know that. I mean, I would want people to hear my name and know that they have a positive association with it.
1: I love that. You you piqued my curiosity a little bit. I want to hear one of the scenarios. What's your favorite scenario that you give your students?
2: Well, I, I have some that are very, I'll give you two if there's time. Um, yeah. We got I want the, uh, Probably the most stressful one, or you want the more the more construction based one? Uh, give us both. We'll take both. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll start with the stressful one. And I was a brand new captain. I had just pinned on captain, um, which means I'd been in four years. Which at the time I thought, "Ooh, man, I'm I've really been in a long time now." Which I mean, not really. But um, so we we had we're leaving Korea. It's the summer of '01. Still pre 9/11. It was in August of 2001, and all of our stuff, uh, our tents had been torn down. All of our stuff is palletized, which means it's wrapped in plastic and it's it's on a C-130. And we're going to fly a C-130 from Korea to Guam, which is where I was stationed. And we get out to the flight line, and the loadmaster says, uh, "You got too much weight and too many people. You need uh, four people to not get on this flight." And they just say that on the bus or out there on the flight line. And uh, another captain who's a little more senior than me. And he was also an Aggie, uh, he and I, and so the load measure is like, who's in charge? And, and, and he and I were like, we are. And so then, uh, he says, he says that. And then, uh, and everybody's like, what? Like, cause I mean, we've been in Korea for a month, they don't have access to their stuff. So we go down and we're like, can we talk to you outside a little bit, like on the flight line, but people all roll their windows down in the school bus. And they're like, like, like who's staying? And, and I heard somebody yell, well, you know, it's not going to be an officer. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, we are under the microscope right now. And, um, so put a pin in that one and now I'll tell you the other story. Cause I'm going to ask you guys what you would do in that scenario. And now I'm going to have to remove that scenario from my oh man slides. But, um, so what do you do in that situation?
0: I mean, personally for me, it sounds like I would be the one sitting there and let the other guys go. But I mean, that's easy to say in this situation, but it sounds like to them they wanted to get on that plane and they were under, the, you were under the microscope. So what, what, do you have a choice, honestly? I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of what I would think I would say, but I mean,
1: my question is why couldn't you take one of the pallets off, you know, <laughs> and keep all the guys on there, but. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, either way, the people or the stuff is not going to get to where it has to go. That's true. Which uh, that's actually, no one has ever what? said that before. Like we're just what like, was, but, I was, mean,
1: what was the time? I mean, I feel like people are more important than this stuff, you know, but what's, what was right. the timeline? So if, if someone had to stay there, when would be the next flight that they could have gotten
2: to? It's not an airport. So who knows? Oh, right. man.
0: You just stopped. yeah, <laughs>
2: Wow. Yeah. You're just you're you don't have your stuff. You don't have any place to stay because all the people who would have supported you. Left. And I was like, this is a tough sell right here. Mm. What you do? Well, and that's there. there's even more to that story. Uh, one of the, the staff sergeants comes off the bus and I knew her at my previous base at Charleston. And then she was also in Guam. And she's like, oh, my father's like in ill health and he's not doing well. And I have to get back to Guam. And she starts like bawling her eyes out. And I was like, you're making this any easier on me, like get back on the bus. And I had to be kind of a little bit firm with somebody who I, I was familiar with and I liked. Um, and then meanwhile, in the back of my head, my wife was in the Navy. She was deployed for the month before I left. And then I had been gone for a month and she had had a miscarriage. I don't always tell that part unless the students ask about it, and so in the back of my mind, I'm like, I need to see my wife, but I'm definitely not going to be like, "Hey, everybody, my personal life is more important than any problem you're going through." So, luckily, what we did was we had some volunteers, and I couldn't believe anyone volunteered for this, but because I was like, I'm like, you know, we can't promise you a place to stay, we cannot get your stuff, and your stuff is about to be in Guam while you're in Korea. So, but people volunteered, and that's that's where. They weren't the vocal ones. They kind of just like sheepishly said, "Yeah, like I'll do it." And luckily, there was an officer who knew a friend who was stationed in Korea, and, and she went with, with her friend. And, um, so that if you have a good team, and that's where you don't know when you're going to need a good team, so you better start making a good team one. Hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, I was on a. I mean, I didn't. Some of those people I'd never really seen during the month because they had different night shift, and I, I was on the night shift, and they may were on the day shift or whatever. But you better know everybody who is at all near you at all times where they're from. I mean, just enough to, I mean, have a coffee with them or something. So that was um, but that was super stressful for being pretty young. And like, I mean, that's not life or death like this next story, but it um, it felt like that to people whose parents were ailing or whatever else was going on. So, right. Right. So the next one is crazy. And I never thought this was going to happen. And this was the ultimate safety incident that we had a safety down day um this was shortly after i got to afghanistan u.s contract uh they had uh it's led by a a brit as the project manager they have a prime sub who's an egyptian airfield builder all their workers are afghans so the foremen are all egyptians the workers are all afghans and this is 700 people who are working on this Three thousand five hundred and fifty meter long runway project. That's crazy. And I, I asked the project manager when I first got there. I'm like, "How do you communicate with everyone?" And he said, "Mostly a lot of yelling." And <laughs> and they, I what I think they're yelling a little too much because uh, one day one of the Afghan dump truck drivers was mad at his Egyptian foreman who was walking around and, and pointing and yelling, and uh, he ran over intentionally and tried to kill him.
1: Oh yeah. my gosh. Geez.
2: Can you imagine that? I mean, we're talking, this isn't safety, like, and like go have safety culture and be safety minded. He intentionally tried to kill the foreman by running him over in a dump truck.
0: That's insane. Oh,
2: yeah. What, what were we going to say, Davis?
0: I said, oh my goodness.
2: Yes. It's <laughs> OMG for sure. Um, so he runs him over. He drives the dump truck to the entry control point, parks the truck and runs off into the desert because we are in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the guards at the gate were like, what do we do for that? We never had someone run off the base. Like they're, they're trying to make sure no one runs onto the base. All right. And then they, they were able to administer first aid. But I mean, meanwhile, the guy has crushed hips. I mean, he was run over his pelvis is crushed. It was at that moment that we tried to take him to the medical building. There was British medical at that base because it was a main operating base, even though it was very tiny, but I mean, we got six person bases who would like fly people in on helicopters. If they ever had a medical incident, mm. they would see him. They're like, not British, not American. No, this is an Egyptian. He's a contractor. So too bad. Mm. Luckily they were able to fly him through Dubai to Cairo and he lived, but I mean, he's going to be paralyzed for life. Mm. And so, shame on me for not having a medical procedure in place for if the foreman gets run over. Uh, But that's, I mean, so what, yeah, what do you do? I'll ask you again, Walker, you first and then you Davis. I mean, that, dude,
1: I don't know. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, that's like, that's just one of those once in a lifetime scenarios that you don't really think about. I mean, it's kind of like COVID. No one ever thought about the, you know, the world's going to shut down. And so now everyone's having to make, procedures for that. I mean, I guess you I don't know. I guess you learn from it, you know, and then try to make a a system where everyone can communicate more effectively to where you're not going to have someone run over someone else. I don't really I don't really know the answer to that one. My gosh.
2: What do you I mean that's Davis that's I mean so you let's say someone just told you like this is happening right now. We're we're trying to get the Egyptian to the hospital. The guy who did it ran off into the desert. Like, what do you do first?
0: Hmm. I go run to what the guys are around and tell them, try to figure out what what happened, what the situation was. But then I want to know about that guy. Like, is he doing okay? I, I mean, I could care less about the guy that ran over him if he goes out in the desert. Sorry, I mean just personally, but I would want to know how can I get this guy medical help. And that, that I would that's what I'd be figuring out. I'd be calling trying to figure out, and, you know, it's, I don't understand. Uh, it stinks that the guys in the helicopter couldn't get him there, but I'd be figuring out whatever I could do to get that guy to the hospital, because like you said, he's going to be paralyzed the rest of his life. Holy cow. Yeah. That's crazy.
2: Well, and that's, I mean, what were you going to say, Walker?
0: I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, do you,
1: do they even have a court of law sort of thing to where that guy that, if you caught that guy, I mean, what are you going to do with them? You're three different country or four different countries working together and it he's attacked a different country. Essentially. I don't really, that's like, you know, in in terms of the guy that ran off, that's a whole nother issue besides trying to get the guy that got ran over medical attention. That's crazy.
2: I I can tell you you're thinking about this deeply because everything both of you said are the types of things that my head was spinning with how many problems we just created that I was going to have to try to, that we had no standard operating procedures for, That I not in a million years thought would ever happen um but just like emergency room I mean you heard the term triage right that's what you got to do in construction and usually you're not actually doing medical triage like they do in emergency room but that's what I had to do is like okay well life loss of eyesight or limb uh injuries those take precedence so drop everything and get this guy to help he needs Uh, Mm um was put him on a plane to Dubai and then Cairo. I can't believe he actually lived. I think maybe they gave him some kind of tourniquet or some blood transfusion, because I'm surprised he lived, to be honest with you. Um, But that's always, if you're ever in the face of a real-life medical emergency on a construction site, drop everything. But start assigning people different jobs. Everybody responds well when they're like, okay, focus on this thing right here. You are going to write down what happened, or which, and also they're Egyptian or Afghan, uh, and I mean, that, there was no love loss at this point now where it was almost going to be like a battle between Afghans and the Egyptians uh, because they were incredibly irate um, both, on both sides. Then you have the criminal. And that was probably the, one of the biggest surprises was we had no procedures for that. And I'm like, so when someone tries to kill someone in a war zone, you don't have any procedures. I'm like, there's no court of law. And the, Really? I asked everyone there. I asked everyone at my headquarters in Kabul. I asked everyone at the rear headquarters in South Carolina and Texas. Everyone was completely stumped by this. They're like, we have never seen anything like this before. And sometimes that's the answer. And so what do you do when there's no one else has an answer and you're the young guy in charge? You just you document, you write up a letter. I talked to this person, I talked to that person. Here's what they said, here's an email, timestamps, like there's a sequence of events like document, 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 because I'm like, I mean, they, what if the Egyptian company sues us or there's all these other things that maybe something happened down the stream, but that's all I did was document, communicate. Bad news does not get better with time. That's one of my perspectives on my perspective sheet. When something really bad happens, tell even more people um, that you don't want to be, you don't want somebody to hear it from somebody other than you because you know the most facts because you were there. So tell everybody you think you should tell and then tell some more people and ask those people if you should tell even more people, especially the worst tell more people and document it well and have, have the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, And so that long-term is what Walker was talking about. We, we somehow they did track down where the guy was and, uh, and I was like, okay, we'll have him come back to, so we can talk to him. And he's, they said he is never coming back here because I think that the, the, the Egyptians will completely kill him, rip him limb from limb. And I, that was probably accurate. And so long-term trying to turn the corner, I had a complete safety down day. We, we did a, a lot of, what we did was we did kind of, I was like, I'm not going to do like a, a a mock analysis of don't run over a foreman, but we did sort of like pretty dumb, low level safety things. And, but we made it kind of funny. And it was the first time we had Egyptians and the Afghans and the contractors all sort of laughing a little bit. We did like different fires and put out fires and of course like nobody knows how the fire extinguishers work and so i mean we had some we had some good times and the other thing we did was we gave the afghans a better living conditions. They were they were in just a giant long case band metal building which is one of those like long half circle buildings. We gave them air conditioning, we gave them a soccer field cuz the egyptians had a soccer field and the afghans didn't. They were mad about that so it would we started to treat everybody like just give them back their dignity, and and we never had another situation like that again. We had a lot less minor vehicle incidents and safety accidents, so it was I was proud of that personally.
0: Walker, I, I think it's safe to say we will never have a leadership moment like that ever again. <laughs> I don't think we will. I hope Man, not. that just is thinking unbelievable. And I, I mean, I love the the principle of the scenarios because I'm thinking about that how I could. Be doing that yeah. in my leadership journey. But man, I mean, thanks for opening up and talking about that because I, I don't really know how to transition to the next thing, but we're going to try. Oh, and I, I love the story, but l- let's go to the next thing. So, th- this is going to the next thing. I want to talk about the, I think it's the Texas AM, is an XTech Tech program? It's something that you got highlighted that I read about. Tell me a little bit about that and how you're involved with this.
2: That's great. Yeah, it's the extraterrestrial engineering and construction. Initiative. Uh, it's a sponsored effort out of engineering. Of the things that I've I've been proud of at AM is that although we're the largest in the country, we have a lot of stovepipes, and um, it's been interesting being in the College of Architecture. When I first got here, people would talk to me like, "Well, you're not an engineer, so you wouldn't know." And I'm like, "Well, I am an engineer. I'm a professional engineer, just like you." So, um, and and I said, "Well, what was your relationship with my predecessor?" And sometimes they say, "Oh, I had no relationship." And I was like, well, that's unfortunate um, because my, my predecessor, Joe Orland, he was fantastic. He helped us get Francis Hall, which is the only higher ed construction facility in the state of Texas. And I think he had his, his head down and nose to the grindstone focusing on that. But I was, my job was to try to make sure that construction science was a great peer and a great partner for everybody else at a And so I talked to the commandant of the Corps of Cadets, I talked to the vice provost for student affairs, I talked to the D- department heads of engineering. I I tried to talk to anyone. I told my assistant when I first got there, give me a a meeting with anyone who will meet with me. And uh, the Commandant was actually the very first person who met with me and I really appreciated that. And I think that maybe the word spread after that. Um, So it was nice to have that military network. But um, we've worked with engineering. We've been really uh, exciting to see the types of things that now the new president of AM is the recent Vice Chancellor and Dean of Engineering, Dean, uh, now President Kathy Banks. And uh, she's brought the Bush Combat Development Complex to AM. and We have the new RELIS uh, campus, which is uh, an old Army airfield that is now being developed for all the expansion of research and wow. uh, with uh, federal research like hyperconics and um, explosive ordnance disposal. It has a SCIF, which is a secure compartmented uh, information facility. I'm losing my military acronyms, but uh, it's... Can, we're, we're trying to be the proving grounds that Austin cannot be on the 40 acres over there in Austin. They can get weird and we're going to be, we're going to uh, do all the things that they need to do for the military to, uh, to further that knowledge, just like the space program. And so uh, the thing I'm trying to capitalize on is the further I got away from Home Depot, the harder the construction was to do. Um, I mean, Afghanistan was crazy. Greenland was even harder that we had Plants. We had an asphalt bash plant and a concrete bash plant in Afghanistan That doesn't exist in Greenland. There are actually no paved roads uh, where I was, really? northwest corner of Greenland in the Arctic Circle in 2011 to 2012. And so anything that goes there has to be precast and assembled on site. And so all of our dorms are either up on top of the soil on piers or you build down, like the runway, you build down to the permafrost and uh, you over-excavate you put a, a, like a um, an insulator and you build back up with new fill and then you can pave on top of that. So we had an asphalt runway, but no paved roads. And so that has really generated my interest in remote and isolated construction. And, and also that carries on with my grad student, Mike Paulus in the Ascension Islands. The harder it is to do a job, the more you have to plan. And I'm like, what could possibly benefit construction more than trying to look at a really hard project to do and do it here? <clears throat> here uh, in places where it's easier to do like Louisiana or, or Alabama or Texas. Mm-hmm. And so that started me thinking, uh, and this was pre Artemis, but then Artemis came out simultaneously while I was trying to establish my research agenda. My Dean said, I need to do some seminal research work here at AM. My My background is building information modeling. And I was on the national BIM standard committee for the three standards of that. But mm-hmm. um, I knew that in order to do work on the moon, you're going to have to know, how to inform robotics to do it uh, autonomously. So you're going to need the computer side of it, but you're going to need traditional engineering principles that we did in order to try to figure out where to put the runway in Afghanistan. Um, they need the same things for landing pads to accept the, the commercial lunar payload services missions that are going to the moon that are then going to establish the permanent uh, human presence for the, the first woman and the next man. We're going to be on the moon since the last uh, 40 to 50 years or so ago when, when the last time we did that was, and so, I got really excited, and since I've been doing this, I've been working with NASA and Kennedy Space Center, Johnson Space Center, lots of different uh, peers who all want to see a large effort be successful, just like a construction project. But they have systems thinking, we've got chemists, we've got material scientists, roboticists, and I'm relearning engineering and construction all over again, and it's, it's really exciting because I think that those dull, dirty, and dangerous things we do here on Earth can be replaced by the technology that we innovate and create for missions like artemis and so it's been really really exciting and fun
0: that's cool tell one, me a little one bit. thing
1: Go on. oh sorry man i was going to say one thing real quick i noticed about you know, this whole time i think a lot of people really need to realize is that you are very good at communicating with all different types of people and like you're saying you met with this guy and then this guy and then that guy and then that guy and, then, and you know a, a lot of people are afraid to, to reach mm-hmm. out to something and i feel like that's the one thing you can't be because in order to get somewhere, in order to communicate on a job site, in order to talk to subs or or a super, another superintendent or a PM or an owner, you got to be really good at communicating to different people, different types of people, different cultures, different backgrounds. And you do a really good job at that. I just wanted, I just wanted to point that out for those listening. That's something that everyone needs to get good at. And you're a prime example of, of being
0: very good at that. Davis, you can ask your question. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. I mean, that that's the thing I wrote down, Walker, was goes and talks to everyone. I love that. And there was a guy that works for Brass Gore. I, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, Mr. Carter. I don't know. But people just talked about Davis. If you ever get to meet him, one of the best things about him is that he goes and talks to every single person on the job site before he leaves. And he's a executive now. And I just love that. that. that there's a leadership trait behind that, but there's also just like – Just this person, personal thing around you, just kind of being compassionate and wanting to learn from others. You know, you're willing to go talk to whoever, wherever. Doesn't really matter if you think that they have a a doctorate degree or not even going to college, but hey, I can learn from them. I can go learn from this person and let's go communicate with them. So I love that. But talk to me a little bit about Greenland. I'm excited to hear about that. I mean, I want to continue about this, this track about the X Tech program, but. What's going on? What do you do in Greenland? Uh, you glanced over that just really quickly.
2: Well, thank, thanks for your compliment. It's hard to accept compliments, but I'll, I'll just follow up on what you said, Davis, was. If someone ever says, if you can ever go see this person, just drop everything and go see that person. I, that wow. It's amazing to me. Like I mean, that the same thing when I was on the National BIM Standard uh, Committee I didn't. I knew I was about to write a dissertation about BIM, and I'm like, I don't know almost anything about BIM. I taught Revit, but and I, someone had to tell me that's 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 the BIM authoring software is Revit. I was like, oh, okay, I I did not know that, and this is in 2004 2005 timeframe, and uh, so I was like, well, I guess just what better way to learn than just jump in head first into, and and then I was on the National BIM Standard Committee, and I was like, well, I'll figure it out now take it till you make it, but yeah, go see everybody. Just, I mean, even if you have a five conversation, not everything has to be an hour long uh, outlook appointment. So um, just go see people and build a rapport. Um, but, and that was, that was incredible in Greenland because Greenland used to have, we used to have a whole bunch of bases there. It was uh, something called uh, Operation Blue Jay that, and this is what I would remind I, I, history is always a great informer because we're going to either repeat our history or learn from it. And so what I would tell my crew, I was the support squadron commander. And so as a civil engineer, you're normally in charge of civil engineering, firefighters, explosive ordnance disposal, emergency managers, and housing and resources. Well, I had uh, the airfield. I had the medical folks. I had all the lodging and the food. I had all the engineering, had all the communications. I had every single thing that made that place like somewhere where we actually could live and have a semblance of a real life. And that's what I would tell the people who are our customers is you actually shouldn't live here because that's actually our plan. If anything goes down here, like if the water goes down or the power goes down, that was the plan Evacuate because you cannot live here. I mean, there, you, there's no heat. You're going to die. So that's what I would remind people is because um, I started getting complaints like, Oh, there's not enough TV channels or one of the movie channels is a skipping CD. And I'm like, you're welcome. You know, with that heat and that water uh, and your laundry and every other thing that we do and the food that's, that's, right um right. and so that's that's what I was doing there but it was and they part of the reason they sent me there was because I knew I had a construction expertise and there was a Thule consolidation project we had so much copper at Thule Air Base and there used to be bases all over Greenland but they're they're sh- they're gradually shutting those down because uh, we do a lot more with a lot less footprint these days just cuz technology but we called it the above ground copper mine we had so much copper that we actually just put out a solicitation and said if a contractor can come up here and take the copper back and recycle it someplace because, as you know, copper is quite expensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You can have the money as long as we get a portion uh, of the money back that you get. Well, the portion that we got back for how much money this contractor, who they I mean, they had to take all the risks. They sent the ship up there. They collected it all. They put it on a barge. They sent it back to Denmark. It was our The portion we got back, guess how much money we got back for our sliver of a portion? 500,000. Uh, 1.1 $1. $1 million dollars.
1: Oh my oh, goodness.
2: Wow. So I don't even know how much they got. That was unbelievable to me. I mean, it was an entire barge of copper. That's what was put up there to do the initial cuz the mission up there is it's somewhat sensitive, so but I think you can probably figure out what you're doing up there. Um, and That The technology of the time was just make lots of copper tubes, I guess, uh, to try to figure out um, what was possibly happening or coming over the pole. So it was incredible. There was always something weird going on, but there's a very small military presence. But meanwhile, just like in the military movies and stereotypes are true, you got people from Texas, you got people from Maine, you got people from California. So you got those people, but then all the other people were mostly Danish citizens. But then we also had Inuit citizens who are sometimes part Danish, sometimes more Inuit than Danish. And we had people who were from all over the place. And we had contractors, we had military officers, civilian men, women. And there was one day where I was sitting in the dining hall, eating lunch, and every person who walked through the door, I knew something about them that was very private, very sensitive, like sometimes some bad stuff. And that's that's the weight that a commander wears. Your project managers, your program managers—if they're good, they'll know about their people. And what that would do is it would help me empathize, or I, and I would start to know their kind of their demeanor. And if if they're happy, I'm not going to bring up whatever this negative thing is. You don't always to be like, oh, if sort of is sad about that stuff happening back home, like if they're happy, like be happy with them. If they're if they're sad, I mean, listen to them. But I mean, so that was it was probably the toughest year of my 20 year career. Um, because I, it was was so unprepared because I I thought I was so good at, I'd already, I came almost straight off Afghanistan and I went to Greenland. I was really missing my family, but, um, what I did was I just tried to be there for all the people at Greenland, sometimes successful and sometimes not. And that's, I have some more scenarios in that leadership class where I did some things I, I thought was good and other things I realized, well, this is the result of my shortcomings as a leader. Uh, or are, is why this person's having this challenge with alcoholism or uh, depression or all the things that can happen. It's dark 24 hours a day. Cause that's, if you've seen the Greenland flag, it looks kind of like the Japanese flag, but it's like a bipolar rising sun because it's half white and half red. And then the other wow. part white and half red, because it's the land of eternal sun or a land of eternal darkness. And oh, so yeah. um, when you're there in the summer, people are in manic mode where they're like climbing mountains at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and cause it's like, it's just going to be light all day long. Uh, and then in the winter, people just kind of, like, play video games and kind of, like, stick to themselves. And so Saturday. it's the ultimate challenge. <laughs> wow. I
0: had no clue. What it, So what is – we'll get past this real quick about Greenland, but I, I love that story. Is it like kind of like Alaska when there's a certain time period of the day or a certain time period of the year where it's just completely dark? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's months where – because wow. we were in the Arctic Circle, so it's it's further north than almost everything in Alaska – um, especially where I was. It was in the northwest corner of Greenland in the Arctic Circle. So it's it was dark from probably October to February with no light. And then you start to kind of see some light, but you still don't even see the sun creep up over the horizon until about end of February. And then it might poke up in March. Um, on the day that the sun pops up in March, everybody goes out like in swimsuits and Hawaii clothes. And it's like, it's a big joke because you're all white from being in the dark for four months but
1: isn't is isn't greenland uh all uh, like ice and iceland is mostly green isn't that the thing you got it
2: you got it yeah yeah have you ever I, seen walter Mitty? that's that's yeah. A, iceland yeah
0: okay that's right i can't even fathom that though of just being in the darkness for that long and in light but just kind of as we kind of wind down i know we're getting close to our time but um you know what i loved about that is you talked about the, the the weight that you were carrying, but that oftentimes as leaders, that that's the weight we do carry because we want to be able to be there for that person. I was talking about being compassionate early. Um, you know, one of my things is is, is my faith, and I want to be whoever I can be. I want to be as compassionate as I can, and understanding because I know that someone died for me. So, I, I what I believe is that you know I would like to go to heaven one day, and you know, based off what I believe is. Jesus lived this earth full of compassion and love people. I want to go replicate that in construction. I want to go replicate that with the guys that I know could be struggling with alcoholism or could be struggling with whatever thing they got going on in their family. And so kind of, as we wind down here, uh, we'd like to ask two, two questions and I'll ask mine. Walker has a better one, but what are some of the qualities you think if a person is interested in construction and you know, the younger generation, what are some qualities you think that a young person should have in construction?
2: I, I like that intro Davis. And that, that was just, I mean, back to the Greenland thing. I, we had a base chaplain named Wade Matuska and he was a Protestant chaplain. He got me through a lot of hard times. Um, but I was Catholic and that we have no priest. And so I was the, if for all intents and purposes, I was the, and I tried to get anybody else to do it, but I was it. So I was the Catholic priest for uh, while I was there. And I had a parish of three people, who would go to mass on Sundays. It was pathetic. So, and I wasn't allowed to make my own homily. I had to read a homily that was written by, but, um, but that was, it really got me in tune with, with my faith as well. And so that's what I would say is know who you are before you try and go relate to others um, and help them find out who they are, but you better know who you are first. And um, the second part I would say in construction is, you can't you can't have one specialty. Like maybe you were great at electrical engineering in college, or maybe you like uh, one phase of the project, like the interior finish out, you got to know everything. And that's uh we work a lot of oil and gas firms at Texas A&M. LSU is similar in that regard, but I loved what one of the firms said was if I want something engineered when it comes to EPC or, or industrial or oil and gas, I get an engineer. But if I want something done for everything else, I get a construction person. So you got to be a real problem solver. You got to know chemistry, you know structures. You have to know all the different things. And that's what I've moved from engineering to construction because I love the people part. I love the business part. And I love that you have to be great at everything and you can't just specialize in one set thing. So that's what I would encourage people to do is, um, don't settle, don't rest on your laurels. Like know, no as much as you can about everything. And that's a great intro to go ask somebody a question and be like, that's another way to get to know people is just be like, what is this? Like, why are you doing it that way? Why, why now? I mean, just, just start the dialogue.
0: That's right. Go be a sponge and learn
1: from them. I think it's funny you say that. Cause you know, I had be a problem solver. Don't settle, don't compromise your morals or don't compromise in general. But I, I the be a problem solver it comes up a lot. One of Davis and I's value for uh, laying foundations is to be a problem solver and a people connector, and I feel like you do just that very well. You know, you, there's a problem. We like to say if we can't if we can't find the solution, then we can find someone who can find the solution for you. Exactly. And I, I love that. And I, I think you show that does you do a very good job with that. But so closing out, like I said, Davis asked one, I asked the other. You know, you, you've you definitely been through a, a ton. You've been to so many different countries. You've been all over, interacted with an incredible amount of people, people groups, a ton of experiences. You know, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, 25-year-old self, whatever, 30-year-old self, with the knowledge that you know now, what would you, what would you tell yourself?
2: Man, that's – I don't know why that's making me emotional almost, but it's just – I've got kids now who, I mean, I've got two high school and a 13 year old, and she just started her senior year of high school this week. I'm sitting in her room, which is probably why I'm thinking about it so much, because she has the best internet reception, of course. The the 17 year old daughter has to have the best internet in the house. Um, but I, 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 I could have had more balance. I, that's what I, I, I place a high priority on being funny and entertaining people. I, I think like I took some personality test, uh, earlier today and it's, I'm not even gonna try the name. It's like some Latin name, but <laughs> the thing that it said that I was, was a strategic achiever. Number one, which I feel like I do because I feel like I have to, but number two was entertaining optimists. And I'm like, that's what I want to be, but I have, to, I feel like I have to be a strategic achiever, but I want to be an entertaining optimist. And that I, that's the mature way to say what I do now. I used to be kind of a, a class clown. And I think back to some of my professors who that was then me. I, I taught at the academy twice. And if I would if I had students pull some of the stuff that I pulled in my classes when I was a cadet, I would have been shocked and amazed. And I think back like how much patience they had to still bring me back as a faculty member. I mean, boggle my mind. I'm 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 here and I'm super lucky because. David Swint, uh, Greg Seeley, Jim Pocock, lots of people uh, believed in me. So it's uh, it's nice that people believe in you.
0: Yeah, I love, I love that. that. And for opening up and opening your heart, that's, that's awesome to get to see that reaction. And it just shows where your heart's at, and that, that's special. And I appreciate that. But, Walker, I mean, this has been a, a great time. Yeah, I'm going to let you close it out because you're a lot better than I am.
1: Patrick, thank you so much for your time here. We truly appreciate it. Seriously, this is awesome. Learned a ton. Wish we could de- dive in a little bit more to certain things, but maybe we can have you on the show in the, in the near future and get into some more things about what you're doing. But we love learning about you, and, and thank you again.
2: Oh, this was really fun. Thanks so much, Davis. Thanks, thanks, Walker.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast today. We cannot tell you how thankful we are for every single one of our listeners, and we genuinely want to know and learn about you a little bit more. So if you're interested in uh, maybe sending us a question or just saying, hey, or wanted to talk to us a little bit, please reach out to us at contact at laying-foundations.com. If you, need, if you didn't hear that, didn't understand it, you can go in our show notes and just click on the link and write us an email. Please, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Seriously, me and Davis get excited every single time we get an email from one of our listeners. It, it, it genuinely makes our day. But if you want to find out a little bit more about us uh, via social media, Davis is going to tell you a little bit how to do that.
0: Yeah. Thanks Walker guys. Like Walker said, reach out to us any way you can. We appreciate feedback, whether you like it or not, you know, it helps us grow in any way. We're welcome. We're, we're here to listen. And whenever you guys tell us, we're going to try to implement that into our strategy, but how to get in contact with us on social media. We have a LinkedIn account called the Lang foundations podcast. We have um, walker walker lots linkedin profile we have davis Hamburg linkedin profile we have a tiktok page called lang.foundations dot foundations we have an instagram page Lang foundations and then you know that's where we're at these are all down in the in the show notes but guys we just want to put this out there and however you want to get in contact with us we're, we're, we're imploring you please just reach out to us we'll respond reach we'll out. get back to you and we want Do to hear it. from you. That that you're the reason. One of the reasons why we're doing this. We want to hear from you. We want to hear feedback. How can we grow and how can we get better? Because like we said before, um, receiving accountability and receiving feedback is one of our core values, and that defines Walker and I at our core. We want to hear your feedback. And we want to be your feedback.